Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of VR Roundtable. We are now up to episode 111. Yes, so today is the Super Bowl. We do have the New England Patriots and your Los Angeles Rams. That is going to happen a little bit later today, but we are what you like to call counter-programming. Yes, we're going to cover some VR stuff. We've got some different news topics, a little bit light on the games this week, but we'll go ahead and get into what we have and go through all of that and have a lot of fun and see what happens. But first, let's uh, talk to the roundtable, the Knights of the Round, and Lancelot, otherwise known as Steve. What is going on? <laughs> uh, nothing much. It's been a good week. Um, yeah, I closed up a couple projects at work, or, or I got done with the installation construction portion, and so kind of like the busy period on a project, on two projects wrapped up. So the week as a whole was good, but unfortunately, as as people saw from the uh, episode thumbnail, uh, my Pimax is is broken. Uh, I'll get more into that later, and that that kind of bummed me down a little bit. But other than that, it's been a good week, and I'm excited for the Super Bowl. Um, probably shouldn't be because I'm not a Patriots lover. Uh, in fact, I'm a Patriots hater. If I if I want to be a little more accurate, so and odds are I think they're going to win, which which is a bummer as well. But um, I'm I'm pulling for the Rams. I'm not a Rams fan. Don't really care about the Rams otherwise. But I'm a fan in general of anybody playing the Patriots. So go Rams. Absolutely, Gary. I know you are a huge football fan. American football, like you've you've been watching it for years. You know, you got a Roger Staubach poster in your bedroom. What is going on? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, I can't wait for this. Um, I've got a lot of insight into this. Uh, this whatever is happening today in America, uh, <laughs> loads of insight going on there. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's been pretty good. So I've got a Samsung Odyssey this past week, so I'll be talking about that a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, it's um, you know. All these VR headsets that are coming out, they're all interesting. And I just wanted to, I found this one for a pretty good price and I wanted to uh, pick this one up and maybe talk about it a bit later on. Uh, but yeah, other than, other than that, just a, an ordinary uh, working week for me, nothing major to report. All right. And you know, you know, what's funny, Gary, is like, I'm not into American football as much as I, I used to be like a complete and total nut into it, you know, and there's a lot of people in England that actually are into American football. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, they are. I've I've heard that as well. People do get into it, and they uh, because now I suppose you know the world's getting smaller, isn't it? You've got all all of this technology where we can get all these feeds of uh, American football and that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know soccer or you know uk football kind of stuff it's 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 uh on tv all the time over here but it's a little bit more difficult to get american football but people do get into that people that are into sport just have this craving for any kind of sport you know my brother's like that he'll watch anything that's on tv that is sport based he will he will do that he will watch it um and that's the way things are going and it's great you know i think it's good to get into all these different kinds of sports i'm not into football over here in the uk and you you know, maybe if I watched a bit of American football, maybe I'd be into that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And over here in the USA, like NBC has um, Premier League soccer games on on Saturday. A lot of times I end up, act, you know, I'll, I'll see a few minutes of it or whatever. Um, Chris, what is going on with you? Uh, same background since last week, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is permanent for now, like pretty permanent. <laughs> Uh, I'm good. You know, the most the thing I'm most excited about is the rumor that sweet, sweet victory that uh, SpongeBob scene might be happening at the Super Bowl. 
uh, from Maroon 5 to honor Steve and uh, Helen Berg. So that would be so cool because, like, that was, like, one of the coolest childhood memories of SpongeBob. And, and it'd be cool to actually be at the Super Bowl. Is that uh, who so I'm has the halftime? Is uh, it Maroon 5 with the halftime show? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and with that, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. This week, uh, my team's working on a, a VR slash desktop game where it's uh, one person's on the desktop doing a haunted house, creating a haunted house and like moving rooms around, little escape room things. And then in VR, you're trying to escape the rooms and it's kind of like you're versing each other. So we're trying to work on that. <laughs> Sounds so cool. Fun. That's a cool yeah. idea. All right. Well, you know what? We don't have a ton of like major, major news stories this week, but you know, we have some Pimax discussion that Steve's going to get into. We've got some Samsung Odyssey discussion that Gary's going to get into. And I think we also have some exciting news from Chris as well, but we'll get to that a little bit later. But why don't we go ahead and start off our first news story of the day is the Steam survey. So this comes out basically every single month we get these surveys. And what they do is they kind of break down how the headsets have come out in terms of Steam VR usage. Like what headsets are connected, what percentage of headsets are connected. And Road to VR has an article on this. And really, probably the biggest thing that jumps out is... <laughs> Okay, so Linux users on Steam have outnumbered those of us with VR headsets connected to our computers. Of course, you know, if you don't have your headset connected that day or something's not connected, it might not register. So we don't know exactly how many are showing up here. But for the first time, Steam VR users have passed Linux users. Yay! We're almost up to 1%, guys. It's like 0.91% have uh, Steam VR headsets. And I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me here, but, and then um, what do you call it? Linux is like 0.89 or something. So both of them are less than a percent, which doesn't sound like a hell of a lot. And then when you get to the grand total numbers, I believe we're around like 870,000 Steam VR users that are that have connected. Um, why don't I go ahead and send this over to Steve? Steve, we've seen a lot. Of, we've we always get these conflicting reports. Steve, VR is dead. VR is dying. Then we get these stories by Superdata. Oh, it's exploding. There's a thirty percent year over year growth. Like, how do we figure out what's really going on here? Well, I think um, I, I don't think VR is dying. Um, that, I, there's enough data to suggest that it's not dying. Um, what I think a lot of people are, are when they say VR is dying, what they're really kind of saying is that um, VR hasn't become this big boom that we thought it would be. Um, so that it's, it's, it's dying off or the boom, the hype, maybe the hype has died off. That might be a better way of saying it. The VR hype has died. But um, I think looking at the data, it suggests that it's growing, which is, um, which is, which is fine. So the, the problem with the 30% using that as an example, year over year growth, is that when you go from half a percent to uh, uh, 0.65%, like that growth is, it doesn't move the market. It doesn't shake things up. Um, whereas if general PC gaming grew 30%, like that would be, you know, the, that would just be every developer pouring money from their ears. So like, I think, um, I think the data speaks for itself. Um, 
to to the degree that it's showing growth and to the degree of the road to VR article and the point that they were trying to make. I think um, it's basically inarguable. I, I don't I don't think this is an opinion piece. Um, that being said, that there are still things to consider in that the um, the Steam survey is isn't exactly reliable and. Um, because a they don't give it to everyone like i've in ever since we've been doing vr roundtable i've had one steam vr survey and i didn't have my headset connected at that time so i hit no um and it's like so why am i not getting the survey more often are are other people getting it every month and whether or not they have a vr headset connected i think the data would be better if they did the survey and the survey included people that have vr games installed or have play or have ever had a VR headset connected or in some way actually tried to account for the true VR um, uh, market within Steam because it's not it having to be connected at the time of the survey just it, it doesn't make sense that's like you know no one's GPU is going to be disconnected at the time of the survey no one's Intel i7 or whatever is going to be disconnected at the time of the survey so why base your VR metrics uh, on whether or not a headset is connected at that moment I'm sure Valve can put together some sort of programming that that knows hey a VR headset was connected to this machine in the last 10 days or something like that Um, I think that would give us better numbers Maybe they do that internally and they just don't share that information with us for some reason. Um, Gary, are you, what do you think about these numbers? I mean, it's not a major jump in any particular direction. Uh, one, one of the things we also see here is Windows Mixed Reality is just shy of 9%. It's always just been barely below that 9%, which I find slightly surprising considering we always see these great deals on Lenovo's and of course, you know, you just got yourself a, a Windows Mixed Reality headset yourself. Um, but um, do you think that we're just going to keep plugging along here slowly but surely? Um, are we going to survive this trough of disillusionment? Well, I think what, what Steve mentioned earlier, you know, this is sort of we're, we're at the point, like you say, Anthony, we're at the trough of disillusionment. We're past the point of the hype um the initial hyper vr and we're, we're just rolling along and this to me is an incredibly encouraging uh, article that road to vr put out here and this is based on a number of assumptions um that they're doing they're not just basing this on simple uh, facts that they've got from steam vr it is a fact-based article and i think they've done a great job in in communicating this within this article as well but there are assumptions that are being made and i think they're they're sort of rational assumptions and you can understand why they've done that um so i, I just wanted to to mentioned these figures so um from april 2017 to december 2018 in this road to vr article they state uh, that the number of vr headsets connecting to steam is uh, is grown by 160 percent uh, from 294,000 headsets to 766,000 headsets which is a big jump and the other thing is what they're using to do this is an exponential curve on this graph um, that we're showing now at the moment on uh, the video. It's an exponential curve. So they're, they're, they're basing this on the fact that this curve is just going to increase over time. Um, and that's probably quite an optimistic way of looking at this as well. I think that that's something to, to mention. Um, I would love it to continue along this curve. Um, I'm not too sure whether that will actually happen. But looking at these figures as they are, as they stand and using the assumptions that Road to VR have already made 
in order to to get these figures. Um, I think everything sort of lines up to for this to be a very optimistic story overall. Um, it seems like people are adopting VR and it's getting better. It's more people who are adopting VR over time. Um, so I think it, it makes sense to use that uh, exponential curve because, uh, again, you know, optimism, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm pleased that that it's going in this direction. Yeah, Chris, um, I know that with PlayStation VR, there was a bit of an explosion of a lot of people coming aboard in the fourth quarter. But when it comes to like the vibe and the rift and Windows Mixed Reality, do you think we also maybe had a bit of an explosion? Did that kind of help these numbers maybe? Or do you, do you think people look at it as a big Christmas purchase for maybe the family or something? Yeah, I mean, I know at least two people who got uh, rifts for Christmas, and I think that's probably what's been happening a lot. Just in general, people are getting VR around Christmas time. Like that's always a good time for for growth. So this story was really good to me, especially because I've been using it and citing it in all my business documentation for my classes now, uh, trying to justify why we're making VR games. Uh, this really is a helpful figure just to like even be able to predict a little bit, even though it's not like, you know, 100% certain, but to be able to predict that, you know, by the end of this year, there might be 1.5 million monthly active headsets. Like that's, you know, that looks good. The industry looks like it's it's growing even on the PC side, which is awesome because, you know, I think, you know, last week or the week before we talked about how the PSVR has been getting this like big boom, but it's good to know that PC VR also is, is getting this giant uh, boom of headsets too. So I, I feel like it will continue because I've, you know, once more people get into VR, they're going to tell their friends. And, you know, this doesn't include anyone who, who doesn't have Steam VR, but just has Oculus Home. So I think there's actually more headsets out there than, than this even shows. So I feel like this is kind of in optimistic in some ways, but in some ways it's also kind of underselling how many headsets there could be. Yeah, but what's going to happen when everybody grabs a Quest <laughs> and then they're not on Steam anymore? Because one, one of the funny things I have noticed, though, is I do hear this a lot from people where they have an Oculus Rift and an Oculus Go. And a lot of people say, I find myself using the Go a lot more and I'm not using my Rift as much. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, a number of PC-based gamers kind of fade away when the quest comes out, or maybe that won't really happen. It'll just add a completely new element of console players that want ease of use will jump aboard and it won't really change our PC numbers, but yeah, we'll certainly. That, and I, I think the non-gamer or the non-PC gamers may jump in on the quest. And I, I think that's Oculus's plan is to go after the the non-PC gamer. Like, like in, in general, PC gaming isn't, it's, Oh boy, I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to because that's what I do. But like, I feel like PC gaming has become, in terms of market, has become second to to console gaming, and and maybe maybe I'm wrong, um, but I feel like a lot of developers are prioritizing console gaming over PC gaming. So it's not like PC gaming is this this gigantic market that's going to be there forever. Like you've always heard the death of the PC, the death of the PC. In fact, gaming may be one of gaming and 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 people that have to work on a workstation. Um, are really the only things keeping the traditional PC alive. Um. So I think Oculus recognizes there's a huge 
portion of the market out there that, that just don't don't want a gaming PC. It's not a cost issue. They just you know, they're not going to sit at a desk or or have even necessarily a desk in their house with a gaming PC or or a desktop of any sort connected. And and to me that makes sense to go after that market. Um and and I think that's really where the quest is going to uh, excel. There will be the VR fans like us that buy it and and and, and all that, but I think what Oculus wants is they want to take a step towards that ubiquity so that they can push their Facebook products onto the device. <laughs> yeah, I think Quest has a bunch of potential. And like, you know, I mentioned that in my my master business document where I'm just talking about why VR is going to be cool and why we chose Oculus SDK to develop on and all that stuff. Uh, we, you know, all right, we're just saying like the Quest is a whole potential new market opening up that is exciting for developers so like i'm excited for that and the funny thing is i know like at least three or four people who all have rifts uh and also are gonna get quests just because they're excited about the, the wireless uh vr aspect of it so that's cool too just just you know, uh, very oh, very ahead. quickly um i don't want to you know take take over or anything but the the quest just very quickly is everybody on this show getting a quest is everybody sort of going to do that or or not <laughs> Or a Rifters Roundtable, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I just wanted to double check, because we've not even mentioned this behind the scenes, I don't think. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to be getting a quest. And uh, I just sort of assumed everybody else on here will be as well. Oh, <laughs> oh you yeah. know what? Why don't we do a, a real quick bonus story? <laughs> so a quick, it, this isn't on our list, but a quick little bonus story related to the quest. This happened this week, actually. There is a Best Buy ad. You can actually go to the Best Buy website and they already have a little advertisement kind of talking about the Oculus Quest coming spring 2019, you know, put in your email, possible pre-orders and, you know, all these kinds of things, right? But um, they were talking about this in the Oculus subreddit, and one person mentioned that the Oculus Go had a page that appeared on Best Buy, like, almost exactly six weeks before it launched. And so if you do the math... It means that the quest is coming out on GDC. It's going to come out the day, the, not the day of GDC, but maybe like two days later. Um, I mean, I don't think any of us expect that to actually happen. But Chris, what do you do? You think there's any kind of a kawinky dink here? I I hope there there is, but I doubt it. I really think they're just uh, kind of trying to put stuff up earlier and get people hyped for it a little bit earlier than they did with the Go. So the Go kind of just came out of nowhere. Whereas I think. You know, the quest, when you think spring 2019, you're thinking end of spring. Like, I'm thinking late March or something, you know? Like, I'm not I'm not thinking beginning of... I mean, I guess, you I know, GDC is mid-March, so potentially. <laughs> those of us that follow tech, we, we hear spring in... Or at least, I, I don't know, maybe I should say not those of us, but at least for me, I hear spring, and because I know spring is you know what late march to june but in my mind i'm like okay that means june release because they like they say the last it's going to come out the last possible moment within the quarter like no one says spring 2019 and then releases in march like I, just that usually doesn't happen when people are talking hardware because usually there's um things that come up late in in as you approach release that need to be rectified and solved so by giving it a quarter you're doing two things you're giving yourself a three-month room uh, to wiggle in, but you're also giving investors a, um, a a point in time in which it's going to start collecting profits on that device. So I think 
that this quest isn't going to come in March. Uh, I, I tend to agree with Chris that they're just kind of getting a jump on some of the advertising, but I would love it if it does come in March. Like I, I, one of those things I would happy to be wrong on. That'd be one amazing. more, one more quick bonus question <laughs> is today is the Super Bowl. And hey, if you're going to launch a brand new product and you want to get awareness out to everybody, um, Chris, any what what would you say? Thumb, uh, what are the odds we might get a Quest Super Bowl commercial? Would that be like? Would that make any difference? Would that be huge, or is it not that big of a deal? You know, that could be a pretty big deal, but I didn't, I don't think. I don't know why. I just I don't have a feeling that Oculus would do that. I haven't really seen that many Oculus ads on on TV, and the only VR mentions are, are from Samsung always. But now, who knows what they're doing? You know, the Gear VR isn't too prominent anymore. So that, I mean, I remember I'd always you know be watching the Super Bowl and be like, "Ooh, Samsung VR has VR ads. That's awesome." But I don't. I've never seen Oculus do one. If they did, that could be that could be really cool though. Steve, what about you? Any thoughts? Um. I don't think we're going to get anything VR. I don't, I don't think Oculus is going to do anything with the Quest because it's still too far away. And um, Super Bowl advertisements are pretty expensive, or, or so I've heard. So, um, yeah, I just I don't think they're going to spend that amount of coin. Now, next year, I could see it as possible because they could, leading up into the Super Bowl, they could be, you know, hey, watch the Super Bowl in VR with the Oculus Quest using Facebook spaces or, or some sort of social thing where you talk to everybody. Um, and I could see them trying to market it that way. But I think think trying to say anything now when it's still months away um, with an advertisement cost that much would uh, probably not be too smart. Was the Oculus Go sort of announced and released, or not announced, but sort of released around F8? Is that when the Oculus Go was? Uh, I believe it was. Um, I'm not too sure on that, but uh, because I'm just looking at the dates on here. So uh, F8 2019 is April 30th to May the 1st, which sort of lines up more to my expectations of the release of the Oculus Quest in terms of what Steve was referencing as well. When you hear spring, you think, you know, they're going to leave it to the last minute. Um, and yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. I would love it to be GDC and I'm still holding out, out hope for that because there is some kind of evidence that that, that could possibly happen but uh, yeah I, I think that probably the more sensible bet is f8 anyway i am rhett says they will do a commercial mark my words so we'll see we'll have to hold i am rhett's to it if there is no commercial then i am rhett's must do a hundred dollars super chat no i'm just kidding. <laughs> facebook uh, will do a portal commercial <laughs> during the super bowl yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's go ahead and get into our next story. And so our next official story deals with Samsung. And this is another patent story. Yay! We love these patent designs, don't we? So Samsung has filed a patent for a 180-degree VR headset, a curved OLED display. And this is actually not, I mean, the, the patent designs, we know the, we know the drill. We know that the chances of us seeing this product anytime in the near future, maybe not. But the fact that they've patented this design shows us that they are moving in this direction. They're, they're looking at curved OLED screens. And I think this is important because if we're going to get to super wide field of view, in a, in a small form factor, I think we are going to start to have to go to curved screens. I think that's part of our VR future. And so this 
patent application, it does look pretty good from that standpoint. The other thing about Samsung is we remember a while back, like it's it's weird how this has kind of been forgotten, but don't you guys remember that one footage that we saw where it was like, it was showing like some type of cityscape and it was zooming in and they had like these super high resolution, you know, they had these really high resolution screens that they were teasing as well. That just disappeared into the mist. Whatever happened to that? I mean, we got the Samsung Odyssey Plus. We don't have like a full-blown Windows Mixed Reality 2 yet. I'm going to send it over to Gary. And Gary, here's the question I'll ask you. Do you think Samsung, like if they come out with a new headset, let's just assume that Samsung is going to come out with another VR headset in the not-too-distant future, would... Do you think it would have to be a Windows Mixed Reality device, or could they go in a completely different direction? Well, yeah, I, I think they could. They can do what they want. They don't need to. They've, they've, as far as I know, they've got no sort of binding contract or anything like that where they have to only make Windows Mixed Reality headsets. They could just easily do a Steam VR headset, from from what I know. Um, the the thing about this story is, I think this is. This can't be the first time a company has thought of doing a curved screen for VR. Um, they have patented this particular design, which which makes sense. Um, but this, I think, form factor. This comes down to form factor, and rather than wearing these bricks, and I've got I've got a Samsung Odyssey here, and this has got this is a huge brick on your face. I, it's not difficult to see a future where we look back and laugh at all all of the people that are wearing vr now because they are basically wearing bricks on their face whereas in the future i foresee you know i think anybody would 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 suggest that eventually we're going to get to a point where it's going to be far more that the form factor of these devices is going to be far more appealing in terms of like smaller glasses and that kind of stuff um and the curved screen makes sense because when you compare that to something like a pimax the pimax looks pretty good but it's still i mean it's it's wide and it sticks out far from from your head uh, whereas this can sort of counteract that by having the curved screen part of the argument why you know i've, I've mentioned curved screens on vr roundtable before and and part of the reason i think that these are difficult to produce is possibly because of software correction and the distortion that you would get from a curved screen i don't know that you know i don't, I don't know the ins and outs of that but I, I just assume that that to be the case and this seems to be the way to go if they can they can adopt this kind of uh, form factor for the future vr headsets this seems like the first step in getting a form factor that that uh, a lot of people will be far more willing to adopt i think Chris, I'm looking at this, and one of the things that it's talking about here, it says this design uses two lenses per eye. So there is one pair of standard Fresnel lenses, which give you your standard view, uh, a full view of about 120 degrees. And then you have a combined set of wide angle strip lenses positioned at an angle. And then what they do is they basically combine the image and correct the warping and all of that. Do you think there might, like, do you think this will be something, if we eventually get it, that maybe your average Joe Schmo won't notice it, but will us hardcore VR veterans notice, like, distortion or weirdness going on, kind of like we have with the Pimax at the edges, or do you think it they'll work it all out? I hope they'll work it all out. I think this is 
probably a better way to go than having just super big lenses to try to like separate them out and make them very specific to like whatever they're distorting. Uh, but you know, I guess there's no way to know until we try it. I think it's a cool way to to go about solving the problem, though. You know, because instead of having this giant lens that could break, or you know, you have to manufacture this giant expensive lens, being able to make like kind of the normal VR lenses tack on these side ones and getting a bigger field of view would be really cool. Um, just based on the concept of a uh, curved OLED, you know, that's. Samsung's been doing that forever. They've been showing that at like GDC like five years ago or something like that. So I think you know it makes sense that they'd look look to to just adding a curved OLED in something like that's way easier to implement than a curved smartphone or you know folding smartphone like all these all these uh, cell phone companies are trying to do now. So I think it's kind of like a no brainer to to just curve the display. You know OLEDs are already flexible themselves. So uh, I hope we see a headset with a curved OLED eventually because I think. It, honestly, it makes a lot of sense as long as they can account for the distortion. And, you know, I'm kind of worried about the the focus of it, too. Like if, if the screen is closer in some parts of the lenses and further away and others, like who knows how that'll contribute to focus. But, you know, if anyone could figure it out, hopefully Samsung can at least figure out the screen part. Um, I hope they, they open this technology up and don't just keep it exclusive to Samsung like it mentions they could in the article. That would suck. <laughs> Yeah, they'd probably start off that way, and if it really blows up, then they can license it to everybody else. Steve, a quick bonus question. When are we going to get away from Fresnel lenses? Is this ever going to happen? I hope. I, I am not a fan of Fresnel lenses. Now, um, part of my hatred for Fresnel lenses came at a time when I only had an HTC Vive and a PlayStation VR. And when you compare those two, the Vive lenses the Vive Fresnel lenses are trash. The PlayStation aspherical non-Fresnel lenses like didn't have rings, didn't have God rays. Um, they had a small sweet spot. Sure, that was the trade-off. But like I much, much preferred the the PlayStation. So it kind of, I had a bad taste of Fresnel. Uh, the Rift uh, didn't do anything to change my taste in Fresnel because um, the, the God rays were so bad. Although they solved the, the rings. I didn't have the ring issue with the Rift like I, I do with the, uh, the, the original Vive. Um, but then the Oculus Go came about, and, and I see that Fresnel can be done without really um, uh, rings and god rays. It's possible. So I think the Go changed my mind somewhat on Fresnel. And then jumping into the Pimax, which um, I haven't studied the lenses in, in, in great, great detail, but they appear to be Fresnel. I'm, I'm, I'm about 98% certain they are. And uh, again, no no god rays, um, uh, no no grooves that, that rings that show up like when you're wearing the headset. If you look into the lenses not wearing the headset, you can see some rings, but they don't show up at all when you're actually in there. Um, so I'm not as anti-Fresnel as I was maybe a year, year and a half ago. Um, Speaking specifically on this Samsung headset, um, the magic and the, their ability to pull it off isn't going to be in the display because I think, uh, to Chris's point, I think Samsung can do it, no questions asked. The, the, the they, They've already done work in the curved display area. I think the bigger question becomes uh, what they do on the lenses. The lenses are very difficult. And then also getting the software and the geometry cor uh, correction in place. Um, that's going to be where, where they have to figure it out. And I think where the magic comes, the, the Pimax, I believe has two lenses on for each eye. I think they're molded into a singular piece, but, um, I think from a, uh, from a sort of an execution or an 
implementation standpoint, I do believe they're doing something very similar to what Samsung has identified there. And then they just kind of brought them together into a single mode so that you pop it out as a singular piece of plastic. Um, because you can you can kind of see a change in the lens as it goes from the sort of the primary to the other. You don't I don't really see it when wearing it, but again, if you study the lens, you know, looking at the headset. Um, so yeah, I think that's where the magic's going to be. I have a lot of confidence in Samsung from a display perspective. I have a lot of confidence in Samsung as a company. I think they are a good company. Uh, I think they make great displays. Uh, I'm confident in their products for the most part. The one thing, and based on both Odysseys, I'm not confident in their uh, ergonomics like they, they need they need to set up a QA system somewhere here in the states with with Americans with fat heads on them or something well hell I don't even have a fat head and, and it's that's not very comfortable for me so um, I think they need to figure out the actual design of their headset somewhat but um, other than that uh, I, I think uh, Samsung could be a leader here in the VR space if they go down this road but who knows if they will right we're still waiting on that LG how long two years now yeah, yeah. Don't know what's going on with that. Uh, we do have a couple of people in chat that are talking about getting rid of crappy Fresnel lenses and making something else happen. Michigan Sun says the DK1 didn't have Fresnel lenses and it was magical. I've been chasing the dragon ever since. Hashtag VR addict. And Ray Pope says, I swapped out my Fresnel lenses on my Vive in favor of Gear VR lenses. The difference is night and day. Best thing I ever did VR related. And we also just got a super chat from Tony M. So thanks for that. But, you know, going back to like the gear VR thing, has anybody been tempted to do this? Because it was really popular for a little while. A lot of people talking about it on the various subreddits. But we well, me personally, I've heard horror stories in both directions. So that kind of made me hold off. But. Um, I was just curious if any of you guys were tempted. Like, Chris, you like experimenting with things and modding things, right? Uh, I guess. I wouldn't, I don't know, I wouldn't risk that. Like, I, I, you know, ever since, like, the dev kit one and two, when you could swap lenses without, like, it breaking, like, you know, without tearing it apart, um, I, like, never wanted to. Because the second you remove a lens, you're going to get a piece of dust on your screen, and then you have to, like, blow it out, and it's, it's just the worst thing. Like I've had dust on my dev kit two and dev kit one, like forever. So that was the, always the worst thing for me. Um, so I, you know, I would never want to open that seal just in case, cause that's like terrible. But if I ever was in like a completely sterile, no dust environment, it, it would be cool to try. Cause I, you know, I have a gear VR and a vive still, but uh, I'm going <laughs> to, we'll see. I, if I had a, a, a Vive, um, or I should say if I used a Vive, I would, no question, I would do it at this point because those lenses are so bad. And I know I said that a minute ago. I think, I think the Vive gives Fresnel a, a, a worse name than it deserves. Like if Fresnel lenses already aren't that great, but, um, the Vive just makes it that, that much worse. Like, um, the problem, though, in getting away with Fresnel, Fresnel gives us more options. Fresnel's cheaper. Fresnel weighs less. Fresnel has um, uh, is going to be our our best chance at wider fove. I think a spherical, heavier glass lenses they're they're better quality, no question, uh, and, and visual acuity. But I think it's going to be more difficult to get into a wide fove headset. Um, weight becomes a factor. If I think of um, you know, I have some very expensive photography equipment that that my wife, um, you know, was was using as a business, and we have like two thousand dollar Canon glass, like that that you know, a nice big 
lens. And there's reasons why those things cost so much. I mean, yeah, Canon, nice markup, I'm sure, and all that. But the to get lenses and to get real good quality, it's... Um, it's it's not a cheap thing to do and it's very it's very very limited and um for the foreseeable future i see vr um it has different goals than 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 cameras do obviously but i see vr sticking with with more of a fresnel type option or or a hybrid option than than um abandoning fresnel completely just because of the 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 the, the angle, the, um, the the fove that they need to achieve as well as the weight and the cost honestly Okay, well, why don't we go ahead and move on to our next story. And um, so the next story, we get into Pimax land. And so one of the things that we heard about this week is Pimax announced um, Brain Warp, right? They call it Brain Warp. And then also fixed foveated rendering. So this was a big thing that came out earlier this week. And one of, like, I haven't been following this super closely, but... I, I know that it came out and then I think it got like shelved temporarily. And I don't know if it's back back on, but um, Steve, you're our resident Pimax specialist now. Uh, what do you any news here on the on the brain warp? Like, did you get to try this out at all before your headset yep. crapped out on you? OK, yeah. So the. um it was about three days ago they released. So we knew those of us that monitor the Pimax forums and such, we knew that uh, Brain Warp update, we'll just call it that, was in beta testing with a select group of users. Uh, I need to figure out who to contact, so I become in that select tester group. I, I feel I'm suited to test things. Um, but anyways, uh, I was not in the test group, but, but we knew that the update was was pending. And um, it's, I got to check it out. So, uh, first I'll say what happened to my Pimax. My Pimax is, um, it, it's, it's not a hundred percent dead. Um, when I'm, when I turn it on and I'm in a game or in an app or something, the displays will shut off and the power LED will go from, from on to off. It goes from a green or a purple LED to uh, a red. I believe at this point it's the cable. Uh, watching Nathie's video recently where he went to visit um, Pimax while he was in China, um, you can see some of how they do their quality testing. And they pull the headsets out of a box and they plug a cable into the headset that was already plugged into the computer. So the cables themselves aren't being tested as part of their regular QA. And that, and I'm sure they're just buying the cables from you know, some cable manufacturer. So um, they need to figure that out because there have been a lot of people that have reported faulty cables. Uh, and this kind of gets into the issue of, of headsets in general. Like, uh, Gary, your new Odyssey, like you can't even replace the cable on it. It doesn't plug in. It's just potted from the factory. The Rift has a proprietary cable. Most headsets other than the um, the original Vive had a proprietary cable. Like PlayStation, you can't service it. So um, the cables are like i think manufacturers need to make a way that we can um replace our cables or, or have some sort of option here uh and yes i'm a little extra frustrated because i think my problem is in the cable um so it's not completely dead i'm able to get in sometimes i can put it on and play for you know elite dangerous for an hour and i don't have any problems it works just fine other times i put it on and within 30 seconds the screens go dark and then i have to take it off reboot and go through all this crap to get it to come back on so um i've submitted a ticket with pimax uh unfortunately my timing couldn't be any better because um here they're going into their Chinese spring 
New Year, whatever. It's basically their spring holiday. So uh, China basically shuts down, from what I understand, for the next week, week and a half. Uh, so we, we, I'm not expecting anything to happen on my support ticket till after they return from holiday. Um, so isn't that awesome? Um, the, the, the brain warp. Now, all that just kind of explained where I was and how I was able to test, uh, the brain warp. So first of all, they're calling this brain warp, but it's not the brain warp that they, um, were detailing earlier on in the Kickstarter campaign. The brain warp they mentioned was going to alternate frames in each eye, uh, which is a little bit of a different approach. And I think they were going to simulate something higher than, than, uh, 90 frames. I, I don't know exactly how they're going to accomplish that. So what they've done now, it appears, that they've kept with the brain warp as a branding sort of thing, as, as a terminology. Um, and instead, within the brain warp setting that I'm showing the, the software here um, on the screen for those uh, able to watch on YouTube, um, within the brain warp setting, you have smart smoothing, which is just motion reprojection settings that we've had. It works the same way as asynchronous space warp. It works the same as the Windows MR motion smoothing and the same as the um, recently released Valve motion smoothing. It, it uh, if, if you aren't able to maintain 90 frames on a Pimax 5K or 80 frames on a Pimax 8K, um, it'll cut your frame rate in half and then interleave uh, generated fake frames in between. And, and that works really well and um, I think on the Pimax, it was well needed because um, it has the most GPU requirements, the, 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 the heavier uh, uh, horsepower needed to drive it. So of any headset on the market, the Pimax probably needs motion smoothening the most. Um, but, but in general, I think it, it's a win. The fixed foveate rendering, on the other hand, um, it didn't always work. Like it would, um, I, I, I couldn't get it to work at all in Elite Dangerous. Um, and I, randomly, I chose a, 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 a experience it to that I didn't have to interact with. So I chose the great C and it worked well in the great C. Um, when I would choose between um, balance and aggressive, I could see it change and I could see it was a really heavy resolution tape off on the edges when I chose balanced. Uh, ironically, when I chose aggressive, um, it didn't seem aggressive. The, the resolution tape off was much uh, more gentle. So I almost wonder if they got the, the labels for the settings backwards or something, um, but it works. And I could see, I could see my GPU in, in FPS VR, I could see my GPU working less hard uh, between these settings and I could see it working. So I think, um, I think they've got it there. Like they got the core. Now they got to figure out some, some stability. They have to make it so that it works in every title or, or that it's more consistent. Um, but, but it's there and it has worked at least in one title for me. So I need to spend more time with it. And then the last thing they added within this brain warp update and I think this is really nice, and I don't know why the other, uh, uh, you know, uh, Oculus and HTC and everybody doesn't implement this, but they gave a refresh rate option. So you just go down there, and you can you can have your headset run at 90 frames or 80 frames, depending on which Pimax you have, uh, or you can choose other options. So on the Pimax 5K, you can choose 72 hertz, or you can choose I think 64 hertz. I'm not sure why anybody would choose 64 hertz specifically, uh, but the 72 hertz is nice for if you're going to watch video because of the whole same reason Carmack talked about on the Oculus Go, you can um, you know transition 24 frames per second content, it can scale uh, nicer to 72 because it's divisible there cleanly. And um, 
why why aren't everybody doing this? Why why is you know Pimax coming out of left field doing that kind of thing? So I thought that was pretty neat, um, particularly for those that watch video. But maybe there's a simulator or a certain game that um, you know you, you you're stuck with a low end GPU and you have a Pimax. I don't think that's a lot of people out there, but let's say you are. Um, you you can maybe set 64 frames and then you can reproject at 32 frames between 32 and 64 and maybe you can get a smooth enough experience to play something like Elite Dangerous or something. I, I don't know. I guess that's what that's there for. But all in all, the update is good. Um, I think they're taking the right step. I think they got to clean it up a little bit. They did pull the update. So, well, first of all, I should say the update is in beta. Like it won't like when you open the software and you click update, it won't update to this um, brain warp update. You have to manually go and seek it out. So that protects the people who aren't um, trying to uh, necessarily be beta testers for, from getting into it. But um, they pulled it. They didn't give us a reason why. It may be so they don't want to support it over their holiday uh, or, or whatnot. So right now, if you don't have the update, you can't get it from them. Uh, but but the internet being what the internet is, someone's already got the update and put it up on Google Drive. And you know, if you really want it, you can still get it if you go look for it. The um, just just quickly, um, if anybody's got any questions for Steve uh, specifically on this topic, um, then feel free to post them in chat. One thing I wanted to ask you, Steve, with this because you're running a 28ti, so it's a high-end video card anyway. But even in your experience, I know that the, the Pimax will push that video card to its very sort of oh, extreme yeah. anyway. Um, so if you notice, just just in terms of performance in the games that you've been playing, I don't know which ones you've tried or which ones you've had the opportunity to try. But but have you noticed a big difference in terms of performance, or is it sort of marginal? Well, I need to spend more time with it. So once I started getting the display shutting down, it started aggravating me. I couldn't do any kind of uh, uh, aggravation-free testing at that point. So I've really only tested at Elite Dangerous. And and yes, with the smart smoothing, I could see it drop in those mo moments. So before, um, before this update, uh, when I was out in space uh, on my 2080 Ti with Elite Dangerous on uh, VR medium, um, I could hold 90 frames in space all day like it it, it it was good when i would dock at a uh, heavily detailed space station um the the frame rate could drop as low as 60. uh with this update i see in fps vr i see it drop in those moments at a at a heavily detailed space station i see it drop to 45 and i see my gpu load go down um so it's working mm -hmm. it's, it's doing what it's supposed to do and and honestly in a game like like elite dangerous like 45 frames reprojected is is okay it's like it's fine, not yeah. it's not going to hurt your experience really like yeah. if you sit there and do this and you study every flat edge to look for the warping that that motion then yeah but like you really got to be looking for it like That's... like when you dock and it and it turns your craft for you as a part of the docking sequence like mm -hmm. it spins so fast you're not going to notice any any reprojection artifacts anyway um so i think for a game like elite dangerous and, and assumingly any other motion or um not motion but uh, uh sim type type titles uh i think this is going to work really really well 
that's the other thing I wanted to ask very quickly as well uh, regarding this, because we, we all know like the little artifacts you get with reprojection in terms of like the uh, uh, on the Vive where you've got the asynchronous reprojection and that kind of stuff in Steam VR, and on asynchronous space warp you get little artifacts, you get things that that, that take you out of it. They work great and um, they overall are a benefit, but you do get these little artifacts. What are the artifacts in this solution, Steve? I, I I did I haven't played anything with motion control. It's like one of the things I, I used to always look for uh, playing like Fallout on on the Rift was uh, I'd look down at my controllers or my hands and I'd wave them like this and you can kind of see what looks like um, you know like when you look through a fire or something yeah. hot when the air is cold you see the the bending of the of the of the air um, you can you can almost see that with your hand when when you're waving it back and forth. I haven't had a chance to test that on the Pimax to see. Um, just what that looks like. So I, I can't say. All righty. Well, you know what? We do have a couple of small little stories we can get into real quick. And one of them, so Space Junkies. What about that game, Space Junkies? Remember that? Space Junkies, we thought it was coming out like December, maybe November of last year. And that never happened. And part of the reason could potentially be Echo Combat was launching like November 15th. And they, you know, there's a lot of similarities there. So we thought maybe Ubisoft was kind of avoiding that. But one of the things that is going on with Space Junkies is you can find it at arcades. There's a hundred plus arcades around the world that does have Space Junkies there to, to play and to try prior to the actual launch of it coming to our regular headsets. We still don't have like a date on when it is going to come to the Rift and Steam VR and all of that, but um, it's probably a spring 2019 release. Uh, any comments from anybody regarding Space Junkies hitting the arcades? Is this like Gary? Do you think this is something that we're going to see more with certain games where maybe they would would premiere the game in in arcades for a, a limited run prior to going live? Um, you know. Part, I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted on this because obviously I want to play any game that comes out, I want to play it immediately in my home and I want, want to do that. But at the same time, we often talk about, and well, not often, but we have mentioned in the past how we're still in the very early days of VR. And in the very early days of gaming, you had primarily, you know, the best experiences were in the arcade and you could do that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I'm not actually really against anything that where we can get location-based vr um out there for people to just casual people to just go in there and try out um this is a great idea to me um the vr enthusiast side of me wants to play this game immediately and as soon as it comes out um but i think overall having vr in arcades is probably that the one of the biggest benefits at this stage is not going to last forever. You you won't be able to do this forever, just in the same way that arcades, traditional gaming arcades died out. Um, you won't be able to do this forever. But at this point, VR is so expensive for anybody that is just sort of a, a casual consumer and just is mildly interested in this stuff. This is the perfect solution. Um, and to have Space Junkies, um, which is, you know, it's, it's by a big developer, it's by Ubisoft, 100 plus arcades uh, around the world is, is a great benefit to me. I think this is a great news story overall, honestly. Okay, and you know, you just you mentioned um, location-based entertainment right there, 
And that actually brings us to our next little story. And this one is real, really interesting, in my opinion. I just, I love these patent designs. It looks like something from, uh, I don't know, some weird future that I'm not a part of quite yet. But this is Universal Studios. So here's the thing. Um, we know that there are a lot of competitors out there that are moving into this location-based VR deal. And all of the different theme parks that are out there, they know that they have to get involved with this. Like, this is not going away. This is going to continue to happen. Whether it's AR or VR, Disney is getting involved in this. And Universal Studios, they're, they're going to get involved with this as well. And so what they have is they've... They've released some patent filings. Well, we've discovered some fat patent filings. This is at Upload VR, and we're seeing some. I don't know if you guys have these pictures on the screen right now. I'm assuming you do, but I don't. It oh, you don't. Okay, it looks really bizarro world. It's almost like you're like on a track. You know, it's like you're floating around and you're like on this track and then you have a VR headset as well. And then there's there's another picture where it shows like these people, I guess they're like getting off of a track and then they're kind of walking along and they're switching and they're walking. It's it's really quite weird. Um, but we know that this future is coming. And so this is kind of exciting. Apparently, Orlando Rising which they kind of catalog theme parks. They talk about theme parks. They keep track of Disney and Universal and all that. They've reported that Universal has plans for a large land expansion. Whether or not that has anything to do with VR is debatable at best. But what do you guys think? Do you do you guys... Well, actually, I'll send this specifically to Chris first. Chris, do you believe that these theme parks like we have bush we have the bush gardens we have like six flags we have universal studios disneyland these are popular destinations for people and i've always kind of felt like when vr really really starts to take over then you can have these void like centers in your local city and I would imagine, like, I can I can fly to Orlando or I can fly to Anaheim and I can go to Disneyland and I can ride on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. But you would think that you could simulate that almost perfectly within a couple of years with really high-resolution headsets, some motion, motion uh, D-box-type chairs. Will we see this locally in our cities, like these void-type centers? And do you think, like... These theme parks, they have to do this to survive long term. Now, we might be talking 10, 15 years from now before this really factors in, but they got to start working on it now, right? Yeah, like I think that's kind of what this patent is. It's like, you know, Universal's thinking about VR, which is good because the void does exist in Disney Springs and like that's one of the pr premier locations for the void. So, in some ways, that's kind of Disneyified, you know, like there's Wreck It Ralph and Star Wars. So, like Disney properties are in the void. Uh, so I bet, you know, Universal's hurting a little bit on that, uh, that revenue or whatever, it, you know, that, that actually isn't as busy as you'd expect it to be, to, to be honest. And I don't think for a while, uh, VR is going to be as big in theme parks as, you know, we would expect it to be, um, just, I guess it's just hard to get so many people in and out of VR, you know, they have rides where they can put like a hundred people on at a time and it's, it's this big like screen that wraps around everybody and even though it's not perfect it's getting pretty good like when i went on the ride in pandora uh, world of avatar it's almost 
like retinal resolution VR pretty much like it except for a little bit of distortion if you're not in the exact middle of the seat like you basically get the VR vibe without having to wear a headset so I think you know for the short term that still makes more sense economically and you know with scale and everything like that uh, but I guess just to comment on this patent, I think it's so backwards that Universal wants to put a system where you have to have a cable attached to you. Like, shouldn't they be using some off-the-shelf wireless solution to just make it really easy? Like, I think the Void is so cool because you can actually walk anywhere and it's not on some track. Like, you can do whatever you want. So just based on the patent, like, this looks, this is weird. You know, Universal could do better than this, I think. Uh, but, you know, we can always hope that there will be some sort of VR attraction soon. Like uh, the the big plot of land Universal bought. I don't know why. I watch like hours of theme park news <laughs> and videos. So, um, but yeah, there's going to be this whole new theme park potentially called Fantastic Worlds uh, that kind of got leaked. And it's going to definitely have Super Nintendo World where there's going to be like a Mario Kart attraction, which may or may not be VR, probably not VR, but like uh, hopefully... You know, VR would make sense in, in a in a gaming environment like that. So I think it's a potential rumor that is possible. I you did know, the I've been um, Pandora, the Avatar experience that you mentioned, Chris, a couple months back last fall when we went, uh, family went to Disney. And I was thinking the same thing. And I don't know if I ever talked about it here on VR Roundtable, but um, when you you're, you sit on this sort of motorcycle shape type device and the screen is feels like it's like a foot in front of you but it is really high resolution and you can't see the entire screen. It's, it's projected and you can't see the entire screen uh, without turning your head. So it's like a full field of view VR, but you're wearing, you are wearing uh, 3d glasses. So you do have some stereoscopy to it. And I was thinking the same exact thing. I'm like, this is basically, this is VR. Like the box is tilt. The, the bike thing is tilting. You're, you're simulating riding on the back of one of those dragon like creatures from avatar. And uh, air is blowing because, you know, they have it timed with all the other crap. I think they splash some water when you when you hit some water, that kind of stuff. And it, it, it's a good ride. But I was thinking, you know, as a VR fan, I was thinking, like, this is basically v, VR without having to wear a headset. The only thing that got me is um, I guess I'm so accustomed to uh, higher frame rates. This thing was probably running at 30 frames, that whatever projector they were using. So you could see that, that you know, that LCD look when when, when you uh, have uh, mistimed frames or whatever. Um, so, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to second your, your point there. I think that yeah. may be a more practical way of doing digital entertainment rather than suiting people up in VR. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think of, though, when it comes to like these theme parks See, for me, when I think about VR and a location-based entertainment, what I think about is the ability to build physical structures that perfectly match the VR world. So, like, there could be a chair or there's, like, a railing or there's a bridge or steps, and they could be perfectly modeled. And and but But the problem with having, like, a void or a place like the void where it's, you know, it's a relative, it's like the size of like a movie theater or something. They have to do all of that in a relatively small space. And then if they want to make it a different experience, they got to, you know, they got to make it so that it can be torn down and they could switch it up to a different experience where somebody like Disney or Universal Studios, they have these huge acres, these huge lots, they can build out all kinds of physical things. Like if, if you could have wireless where you could just go 
far, they could have something similar to like zero latency where you're just walking around, you're in a giant world and you could sit on chairs and and maybe ride escalators and all of that could be in VR as well. Am I crazy here? I mean, yeah, it's probably 20 years away, but I don't know. I get excited for that. Okay, uh, let's see. What are our next stories here? Okay, um, okay, this one might hit Steve a little bit more than the rest of us. I know, Steve, you played Starblood Arena for a while. I mean, I think when that first came out, I remember you had gotten it and you had enjoyed Starblood Arena a bit here. But the news is kind of unfortunate. If you are a PlayStation VR fan of Starblood Arena, apparently this game is set to go offline in the not-too-distant future, and this is kind of an online-only thing. Now, what, what a lot of us in the PlayStation VR world are trying to find out is there is a, a non-multiplayer mode to Starblood Arena, but it also requires online access. You actually have to be online to do it, and so we're wondering if they might patch that in some way, or will that still work even be, because of the... Uh, the servers for like af- actual online play, maybe that'll be shut down, but maybe the the single player component of Starblood Arena might still exist. But whatever the case, bottom line, whatever the case, we're in this modern era now where games can cease to exist as we know them. And, and we buy these games, and I, I think there's probably warning somewhere. There's probably fine print somewhere that says, you know, this game is only good until, you know, blah, 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 blah. And if the servers are removed, then it no longer exists. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's all of that. None of us read that. And we've lived so, like a lot of us have lived through a number of eras of video games where we've never experienced games just disappearing and not existing anymore. Um, Chris, you haven't really lived in a lot of these areas. You've kind of grown up with this now. So this probably doesn't seem as shocking to you. Um, but what do you guys think about games just possibly vanishing into the mist? What if you were the what if you were a developer of this? Like your your history with the game has just disappeared. Gary, what yeah. do you think? Or oh, okay. Chris, you want to talk about it? Go yeah, ahead. go go ahead, Chris. You go first. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say it it's really it really sucks and it sucks to like be growing up in like an environment like this because you know you can still play basically all these retro games. I mean, like except for when you know Nintendo shut down kind of emulation as a whole, like that's a whole problem too. Like you can't play some of these old games. You have to buy cartridges for like three hundred dollars just if you want to play an old game that you can't get anywhere else. So I guess it's kind of happening on all fronts there, but at least if you have the physical thing, you can play it. But yeah, it, it's hard. You know, there's a lot of uh, staff at my school who've like worked on games that just don't exist anymore. And they're like, yeah, I worked on this game and like, here's my sweatshirt, but you can't play it because it was multiplayer and it's gone now. You can't even buy it or like anything. So it's pretty sad. Like there's a bunch of games like that that is just keeps happening and it, it sucks. I'd hope you'd hope the developers who care about it could get enough money to like patch in a single player, like have some way to keep it going in some way. But a lot of a lot of the time they'll just be like, no more money for you, you know, game game's gonna be gone. Like I wish wish there was that extra step to preserve some of the game, but I guess there's not anymore. It's pretty sad. 
Yeah, the, um, the the point is, I suppose, with this game, I mean, it's disappointing because I played a little bit of Star Blood Arena. I didn't, I didn't really get into it too much, but it was a good game. It didn't blow me away or anything like that. It wasn't like fantastic, but as a multiplayer game, I think it had all the points that you need from a multiplayer game, and it, it worked really well. Um, yeah, it's disappointing, and and the thing is, like physical copies, you can buy this game physically like you can get the disc and presumably in six months time you won't be able to play it is that true i don't know i mean surely they must be able to just sort of throw it out there in terms of just having bots or something like that the maintenance of servers is expensive i've heard this numerous times from people that do multiplayer games you know you you that the maintenance of servers in order to enable these things to run is not a cheap thing to do um so you can understand if they're not making any money from the game anymore they need to shut down these servers it, it makes perfect sense from a business point of view and yet as a consumer we're not used to this kind of thing as anthony mentioned we're not used to this kind of thing where we've purchased a physical disc of this game we assume we're going to be able to play this for forever really and now presumably we're not um so i'd just like them to clarify a little bit in terms of what we what people that have purchased this game are going to be able to to play it's disappointing but it's the world we live in now and it, it's just uh i think it's how we're going it's going to go unfortunately yeah that's that's pretty much you're you're right it's 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 a game as a service, uh, so I'm not going to say anything you guys haven't said. It's not the first game to shut down. Um, you know, it's online servers. There's been, there's been several uh, PlayStation games. I'm sure you know on PC it happens in an official capacity. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but on PC it's it's a little bit easier to get your own servers up and running, and the community will sort it out. Uh, on PlayStation, that's really not an option. So. Um, my understanding is, and it's been a little while since I played this game, I did like it a fair amount. I think it um, is a polished game. Uh, I think it plays great. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of suited for VR in some ways. Uh, it has hot-ass support. And it... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep doing that. And it you know, it was really, there was a lot to like about the game. I can't really point to one thing and say, this is what you guys did wrong. Uh, other than when the game launched, um, I think it was April last year. Um, when the game launched, like it took forever to connect to an online match. Like you could leave it sit for 30 minutes and you wouldn't connect. And it's not that the community was that small at that point in time at launch, there were enough people out there that were trying to get into a match and their servers, their their code, something on that end just wasn't optimized to work correctly at all. And so it kind of, they came out of the gate and, and, and they stumbled. Um, but then the developers was very active on Reddit. And this is a case of going back to our story last week with the R Vive drama. The developer was coming in and, and they would say, okay, we have this, this new server patch going live at 6 p.m. tonight. And like they were really trying and they were interacting with the community. They were doing, uh, AMAs. And this was, this was a case of, of a time when, um, you want that type of interaction on, on Reddit and you don't want to shut it all down. But, um, they could never get it right. And I think once they stumbled too long that the game was never going to fully recover ultimately sony ended up giving it away on playstation plus that's how i actually own it now um and i i need to jump in there and give it another go um the question remains so there's a whole there is an offline component in the sense that you go through these 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 matches as a from what I recall as a season. So it's like, it's like, you know, like kind of running through a season on Madden or something. Um, you know, and, and you want to finish first in the, in the season or in the league. And, um, they need to 
get that to work offline. Uh, as the last time I played it, and I believe the issue now is that the game needs an online connection even to play the offline season with bots. And I think it would be fair on Sony to to get that to happen because not only did Sony give it away as a PlayStation Plus title um they still you know they still released this on the PlayStation VR and on the PlayStation I think they either need to uh take the game on on their own and patch it so that it works offline or they need to give the developer the fund or the resources so that the developers themselves can do it um because the game isn't so old that it's fair for it to just shut down um and 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 just you know like you expect that out of an eight-year-old game like you know um you know a call of call of duty from eight years ago maybe it doesn't work and, and that's really not a big deal do you really expect these servers to last forever but for a game that is not that old in 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 this sense um they need to figure it out in my opinion to keep the offline functioning once the servers go down because i agree they can shut the servers down it's a business decision i don't dislike them for that but they the game needs to work in its offline capacities while being offline I think it would be cool if they had like some kind of um, requirement, like when they're first building the game, like build this escape hatch in in at the very beginning, rather than having to patch it in later. Like like just build an automatic like okay, this this takes it offline and it just lets people play it against bots or whatever. Like like if they could have that belt into it in the very beginning. And then they can just flip that switch when needed. But I mean, I'm not a dev. And Hell, I would argue nice. they never. It, they should never even have to flip the switch. There's no reason to to that I needed to ever be online, even on launch day, to play the offline stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, the next little story we do have a number of these little stories. Now, this one just I just found out about this yesterday. I don't know if it came out before that, but we found out about Groundhog Day is going to have a VR sequel. And so this is a combination of a number of different companies are getting together. And so this is Sony Pictures Virtual Reality. And you might be thinking, okay, Sony Pictures Virtual Reality. Wait a minute, is that PlayStation? No, these are like separate entities. They're under the umbrella of Sony, but they're very separate. This, These are the guys that brought us the hits of Ghostbusters. Yeah, I remember Ghostbusters in VR. That was a, a stunner of a stunner. And then we also, of course, got that little like Spider-Man demo thing. Both of those were Sony's Sony Pictures virtual reality. Now, the good news here is they're working with two other companies. They're working with MWM Immersive, and then they're also working with Tequila Works. Tequila Works is going to be the developer of this. They, of course, brought out The Invisible Hours, which I think is one of the best. Well, really, I think it's the only legit VR movie that exists. I think it's a VR movie, but, you know, they talk about it as a game. But we've seen the trailer. It looks pretty good. This looks like a decent game. It's going to have about eight hours of gameplay. This is coming later this year. And I think the idea of Groundhog Day in VR actually does make sense because we've seen a number of VR games that play with this time mechanic. You guys probably remember Just In Time Incorporated that kind of played around with like rewinding time, doing something over and changing it, realizing what happens and then knowing, okay, I could go back in time and I could grab that missile out of thin air, those kinds of things. So I think that gameplay would work in VR. Um, Chris, 
Did you ever see Groundhog Day? Because that was a long time ago, way before your time, but it is a very popular movie, Bill Murray. You know, it's pretty hilarious. Have you ever seen it at all? I don't think I have. Like, if I have, I don't remember it too well, which sucks. Like, I'm, I'd have to, you know, rewatch it. It's just weird to me that such an old, like, movie is getting a VR game out of it. Like, why this out of all things? But, hey, I thought it was Because they can cool buy that... the property real cheap. That's probably why, huh? <laughs> I thought it was cool that they announced it on Groundhog Day. I mean, yeah, it, it's going to be cool. I'm excited to try it out, and, you know, I'll have to watch the movie, too. Uh, yeah, you yeah. should check out the movie because it's a, it's just a, a completely weirdo concept for a movie, and it just gets more and more hilarious as it goes on. Uh, Gary, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, not too much to add. I mean, I love Groundhog Day. Yeah, Chris, you need to watch this. <laughs> it's, it's just good. Any Anything with Bill Murray in is great anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the movie. Uh, I'm actually watching the trailer first time now. Is it's, uh, We're just going out live. So um, I don't know too much about it. But, you know, Groundhog Day is a great film. It, it is a little bit weird that they're just bringing this, this up now. And uh, yeah, I uh, look forward to trying it. Yeah. Yeah, Steve, a quick question on this is like you're basically playing the son of the character that Bill Murray played. He was his name was Phil in the movie and you're Phil Jr. Do you think not having like do you think maybe they should have like made it the actual guy and got somebody that had a voice that was very similar to Bill Murray or do you think this is the right way to do it by going with a son and creating a a new story? I think it's the right way to do it because unless you're going to get Bill Murray, it's going to sound sort of um, fake. Like I remember um, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan and I don't know, four or five years ago, Telltale did a, a Game of Thrones and they had um, uh, the the guy that plays Ramsey Bolton. Like they actually had him do the voice and um, and they had other, I can't remember who, but um, in, that felt authentic because I recognize it was the voice of those people. Um, and I think they would have to do the same thing here with Bill Murray. Uh, I remember this movie somewhat. I, I remember the general plot, but I probably haven't seen it in 25 years or something. I don't, I don't even know how old the movie is. I think it's a little bit before my time. 93. I think it's 93. Oh, maybe not then. Okay. I'm not that young. So I guess I'm just hoping <laughs> that it was before my time, but um, I, I know I've seen it, but it, it, it wasn't one that stuck with me. Like there's lots of movies from, from that era that like really stick with me. And I, I watched a billion times. This wasn't one of them. I know I've seen it and I, and I know the general plot, but um I think this is interesting. Like it, it's unexpected. It could be a very, very, very good game. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I think um, it's interesting that they announced it rather than releasing it on a Groundhog Day. But but maybe if we knew that the game was in development, and let's say they announced it, I don't know, in September or something, then we would be expecting it to release on Groundhog Day. Uh, so let's just hope that it comes out actually this year, and it, we're not we're not talking about this on February second, 2020. Uh, you know, that ends up being the actual release date or something. Yeah, it does look pretty good. And uh, well, you know, recently we did have Creed Rise to Glory, right? And I don't think that's the actual voice of uh, Stallone that's in that, you know. No, so that, every once in a while they can get somebody that does a pretty good voiceover. But you, especially a longer game, a game that you're playing eight hours, you're going to notice that this isn't the real guy. It reminds me of these movies like my kids will really be into like a certain movie, right? And then, oh, what was the movie? Open Season. Okay, you know with Martin Lawrence, that that uh, kids movie, Open Season, it's like a bear and all this stuff. And um, 
they've made sequels and they didn't get the real people, you know, and they get these fake people to do the voices. And like, I'm wondering if like my six year old kid, like, does he notice that this is not Martin Lawrence? Like, this does not sound like Martin Lawrence, but yeah, the kids don't notice that stuff at all. Like they, they, um, there's this crappy Lion King that's on, uh, Disney Junior or something. My kids watch it sometimes. It's not, it's not, it, it's like the son of Simba or something. I forget what it's called. Uh, uh, but it's like, it, it's, it's, it's done with lower production. And, uh, even then that kind of grates at me because it's just, it seems so un, un, unauthentic. And then, and then we have the new Lion King. Like, um, Lion King's probably my favorite Disney movie. And, uh, we got the new one, the real, I guess real live action Lion King coming here, I guess this year in 2019. And, um, the fact that they didn't get Jeremy Irons to do Scar. Like bothers yeah. me. Like, why do you not get? They got James Earl Jones, I believe, to do Mufasa, but yeah. they did not get Jeremy Irons. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you know. Do you know what? I, I I think about that sometimes. Like, because kids, then they're, they're not discerning at all. You can do, to throw anything on the TV, and kids will love it. <laughs> and uh, yeah. sometimes ignorance is bliss. I'd love to get back to that point where you don't need to dissect every little thing and just just enjoy it for what it is. Because uh, I see my kids enjoying stuff that I think, oh god, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Chris, right, have next- you seen Lion King? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Lion King is an all-time classic. Remember. Okay, so our next story is Oculus Go. So here's the deal. If you guys have ever wanted to do like a Let's Play video for Oculus Go, one of the issues with it is it didn't record the audio. So you had to capture the audio separately. So what you'd have to do is you'd actually have to use like one of these little adapters that would split into two headphones and then you could put your headphones on and then the other adapters like go into audacity or something and you're recording your audio. And that's kind of how you'd have to do a let's play, which makes it very complicated. You got wires going everywhere, but apparently Oculus go is going to get an update that will allow you to be able to record audio right in there with recording the video. And then there's also extra power options as well. So you can possibly save some battery life or you can choose whether you want it to have it in a particular kind of standby mode where when you put the headset on, it immediately springs to action or whether you actually have to physically hit the power button and get it started. I honestly haven't read too much into this. So if anybody knows any of the, of more of the details, you might want to jump in here. Anybody? No? I mean, there's okay. not too much, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a few power things and it, people are saying generally it's faster and more responsive. So, I mean, it's all good things. Okay. Yeah, I haven't tried doing an Oculus Go Let's Play yet, but now that they have this update to it, it'll make it a little bit easier. So I probably need to try that and see how that works. All right. And uh, next story we'll go to is Budget Cuts apparently is coming to PlayStation VR and also possibly the Oculus Quest. So what happened here is somebody tweeted at Neat Corporation and said, what are the chances or are... Is Budget Cuts going to possibly come to the Oculus Quest? And they responded to this guy's tweet and basically said that um, not we're not working on the Quest right now because we're working on the PlayStation VR version. But when we get done with that, maybe we'll go ahead and jump into an Oculus Quest version. And of course, I mean, everybody and their mom is basically porting a game over to PlayStation VR. It makes total sense, especially when you get a story like 
what we heard with fast travel games, developers of Apex Construct, they were talking about how 58% of their sales have come from PlayStation VR and that they recently had a major explosion of people buying Apex Construct in the fourth quarter, even though it's like not a new game at all. So everybody's going to run over to PlayStation VR. But budget cuts, one of the things I think about, how are they going to get this running on a vanilla PlayStation 4? Because that's one of the requirements. If you bring your game over to PlayStation 4, you can't just get it running on the Pro. you got to get it running on a standard issue vanilla PlayStation 4. And so here's my question for Steve. Steve, you got a 2080 Ti. You got a really good computer. Have you tried budget cuts since? You probably haven't, but I'm really curious because I did go back into budget cuts after getting my 1080 Ti and having like this new Ryzen and finally having a modern up-to-date PC. And it was still pretty janktacular. Like budget cuts, that game just does not run very well from my from my experience. It just seems like it needs to be dialed in a little bit better. And uh, Gary, they're bringing this over to PlayStation VR. What do you think? Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I agree with you, Anthony, because I've not been in there for a while, honestly, um, to budget cuts. But it's one I want to get back to. Um, but it is a bit of a a problem when you go into this game and it's got better it has got better since it first released it was pretty bad in terms of performance and it's the problem is it was such a stark contrast from the demo which ran perfectly um even on a 970 you know the lowest end at that time um it the demo ran ran perfectly there was no problems with it at all and then when the game came out it just didn't run perfectly and and it was down to it wasn't gpu it seemed to be more cpu based really when when you actually analyze what was going wrong um but you know, PSVR, it's a big market. You've mentioned it uh, in terms of this show, Anthony, you know, previously, you know, with um, a, a, another story. But PSVR, if they can get it working on a PSVR and really dial it in and get it to a point where it gets approved. If it gets approved by Sony, then surely it will run at the required frame rate that they need it to run at. On PC, they're sort of a little bit more uh, lax. They don't, they don't need to do that quite so much and that's probably the problem um uh, you know whether it will get to quest that's the most interesting thing part the, the most interesting part of this story for me because this could be a absolutely fantastic game for the oculus quest whether it will get there or not i don't know and from what yeah. i've seen on the pc i think getting it to run on a snapdragon 835 is going to be that much harder than getting it to run on a vanilla playstation vr a playstation 4 but one of the things I do wonder about budget cuts is like, you know, that that original game engine, Gary just spoke to it, that ran butter smooth. You could have had a nine set. I had an old 2011 motherboard, old memory, all of that. That thing ran butter smooth. I wonder if they could get that entire game to run in that old engine. I know the graphics, like the robots look different and all of that. And I, it, they probably couldn't do that. But if they could, then maybe that version would run good on PSVR. Uh, Steve, any thoughts at all on this? 
Uh, not too much. I haven't tried it since getting 2080 Ti. My issue wasn't so much its performance. I don't remember it um, on my 1080 Ti. I don't remember it running bad. Um, I don't remember it running like super smooth either. So uh, I didn't focus on it too much. My issue is that I didn't like the game that much, The um, which is ironic because I, I remember really being into the demo and being wild. But I think those were just the early days of VR and you kind of you kind of get over uh, some some of those initial impressions and the first technologies. Um, the teleport was just too slow slow like you know it was so tedious to move around and 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 that's my hang-up like you know i talk about that in a lot of games like if i have to apply effort to move around in your virtual world uh you, you're, you're gonna lose me pretty quickly and and that's what budget cuts did like to engage the teleport and it was all just so slow um i just kind of didn't like it but man if this came out for quest like you could have it you know you're just like in your whole house or something and you're like crawling on the floor and uh it'd be such a good quest title I, I don't even see how this would work for psvr if you want to go crawl on your floor like you're not going to just it's not capable of that you know so it's kind of a, a weird thing for me it makes sense from a business standpoint but i don't think the game is really designed to work with that at all so yeah i never even thought about that because there is no like i can't think of another game where I got on my carpet faster than something like budget cuts, you know, cause you will crawl around on the ground. Yeah. I, that's, I never even thought about that. Cause PSVR is, you got that singular camera, man, and it's got a limited cone of vision that you're working with. Okay. Our next story that we have, this is the last of our regular news stories, Vive Cosmos. Um, it has been approved. It's FCC filing has been approved. And that's pretty much all we have on this, really, right? Uh, is there any anything else that came along with this? No, I um, just just very quickly. Uh, I don't know if Steve's got anything else he wants to add on this, but I did. I I included this on the list just to mention briefly. Really, um, there's not a lot to to say on it other than the fact that it seems like the fact that they filed this FCC report. Um, sort of implies that they could potentially be releasing within the next few months, um, which, you know, would be great. And I'd like to get a, a confirmation on the price more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody wants. Yeah. Oh, the you know, the other little thing that came out of this was we also, it was confirmed this is not a wireless headset in case anybody was still wondering. Bring up. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it could kind of almost be wireless, like, like, my question is, is Magic Leap wireless? Because see, Magic Leap, you have your glasses on your head, right? You have you have those wires going down to your little puck, and it's on you. So I guess technically that's not wireless, but you're walking all around. There's nothing dragging on you, but you do have a wire. And, and in the same way, Vive Cosmos could kind of have that same functionality if you really have a really high-end phone that you're tethering to, which apparently is going to have that capability. One of the issues with the Vive Cosmos in the first place, though, is when HTC came out with all these announcements, that day that they dropped the HTC Vive Pro I, and they gave us that information, they gave us information about Vive Cosmos. One of the things they said is that the HTC Vive Pro I is a second quarter 2019 product. And it was interesting that they mentioned that, but they didn't mention anything about Vive Cosmos. So it kind of almost like, I mean, if you want to insinuate, you can insinuate that the Vive Cosmos is even further away because they didn't mention that. And we still don't have a price for either one of these. And one of the things they said on that very day was, there will be more information coming in the coming weeks and the coming months. 
So hopefully, maybe at GDC, maybe this will be the next info dump that we get, possibly GDC for Vive Cosmos. But I know there's a lot of people. Gary, you're not the only one. There are a lot of people out there that are very interested in possibly upgrading to another headset. I'm interested in it as well. Um, of course, Pimax, you know, we're kind of curious about that. But then when they start breaking, we're a little bit scared of that. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are waiting. We want to know what is the price. Like, go ahead and just tell us it's going to cost fifteen hundred, so we can forget about it now, or tell us that it's going to be in line, and then we can maybe get excited about it. Does Does anybody feel like that the Cosmos feels more like a when they announced it? It's like they were aiming it more at consumers. Now, now that would imply that it's more affordable for consumers as well. I see the Cosmos as a more affordable headset overall. Honestly, they don't need the base stations. It's got inside-out tracking. They don't need the base stations and that kind of stuff, so they can cut costs in that that area. Um, and also, it seems to have the same resolution as the Vive Pro. Um, so, no, isn't it? Isn't it quite a bit higher? Like this one, the resolution jumps up quite a bit. We don't oh. we don't know what the resolution is, but they did say they had terminology that it's said something highest. along the lines of this is the highest resolution display that that we've ever made or something like that. I feel like to your point, Gary, I feel like this is sort of to them the vibe successor. Like that's that's the way I feel. But then again, they gave it that blue paint, and you know what that means. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know controllers. there was. <laughs> There was the Qualcomm reference design, which they believe, like, like, see, HTC didn't confirm anything, but we did get that, the, uh, the Qualcomm, the brand new reference design that they're using for the, is it Acer OHO? It's somebody OHO. It's the new version of the OHO, which has this much higher, it's, it's a considerably higher resolution than the Vive Pro I. And everybody thinks that, because the Vive Cosmos looks almost absolutely identical, like the the headphones, like there's a lot of pieces to it that look absolutely identical to that reference design, which it is a higher resolution. So that that is kind of exciting. But yeah, they did they did seem to insinuate that they're trying to reduce friction, they're trying to make it simpler. So you would think it would be a more mass market product. But Vive does not do mass market prices; they just don't do it. So I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, all right. Well, that's all of our regular standardized news stories that we have. And we're a little bit light on games. But what we want to do is one quick question. We wanted to kind of go around the entire roundtable here with a quick question of basically this is the topic that we have. What would you be doing or would your would your VR habits be different if you weren't doing this podcast, if you weren't you know, involved in this type of thing, would you be playing games completely differently? Um, would you have bought additional headsets? Would you still be playing flat games, maybe? Like, a lot of us aren't playing flat games anymore. Would, you know, if we weren't involved in this, would we be playing a few flat games here or there? Would we be mixing and matching? So why don't I go to Gary first? And Gary, how would your whole entire situation be different if you weren't doing this at all if you were just a regular joe schmo out there <laughs> i think uh, the only the only difference would be i wouldn't get so many game keys so if i wasn't doing this i wouldn't play such a wide variety of games and that's the big difference for me because i am absolutely on board with vr i don't care where it's going i'm so interested in this technology and wherever it goes i'm going to follow it um 
And actually, case in point, because yesterday I went to my mum's 70th birthday and uh, just a few days before that, my sister actually uh, contacted me just just talking about uh, she wants to get her husband a VR headset. Now, if you could go back a year, my sister would have no idea. If I said VR to her, she would have no idea what I was talking about. And now, a year later... She knows what VR is. She she's researched VR headsets on her own, and now she's contemplating buying it for uh, her husband. Um, to me, that's a big difference in terms of where we are now in VR. Um, get just getting back. I just wanted to just throw that in there. But just getting back to your original point, Anthony, um, I would still be buying all of the other hardware. I'd still be recommending it to people like my sister, to friends and family, and that kind of stuff. Um, and I'd be playing probably. I'd be playing more of the games that interest me rather than games that we feel we should play for the show. And I think we're we're relatively honest on this show. We are sent games quite a lot, and some of them are not necessarily for us. And we try to be honest about that. You know, this is not a game for us, but we still try to review it and give our impressions on it. Um, but the big difference, I suppose that the main difference would be the fact that I'm just playing, I'll be playing far more Elite, I'll be playing far more Fallout 4 and Skyrim VR. Um, and and those, are, those are the kinds of games that I want to delve into far more. That's not to say that I'm appreciative of all of the keys that we get and all of the games that we get the opportunity to play because it gives me insight into where VR is going and you get surprised a game might not necessarily be for you and yet you still get surprised by the fact that, that you think this is a fantastic game and you can see why they've done this in VR. It works so well. Um, so not too much other than the fact I think I'll be playing more of, of the games that are just to have it like this enclosed shell. You know what I mean? It's, it's this, this enclosed shell of the games I want to play and that's probably where I'd focus more than expanding my horizons as I do now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chris, what about you? Uh, you know, I mean, we do this show like once a week and then sometimes we take some weeks off. So it's not like a daily deal. But um, do you notice that your your game playing habits, have they changed? Do, do you do you play plat games? That's a question for you. I mean, yeah, a little bit. Uh, my girlfriend and I like we'll, we'll do Skyrim on the on the PS4 and like, you know, we're probably going to get back into starting to play Kingdom Hearts 2 and then eventually Kingdom Hearts 3. That's going to be exciting whenever we get to that. But yeah, that's. That's a long way away. But yeah, uh, you know, I still have time for these flat games, but I primarily, you know, play VR games and I've been developing for VR now. So that's been fun. Like I've been, it's like a whole new angle of it because I haven't been, you know, I've been in engine trying to make snow particles and stuff like that. It's been a lot of fun as well. Uh, but I think if, you know, if I weren't doing the podcast, I'd probably play a lot more things that are quick and easy to get in and out of. Like I play you know, Beat Saber for like five minutes between classes or whatever, you know, like I have a really busy schedule, so it's hard to dedicate a lot of time to VR. But I really appreciate that the podcast gives me a time where I can be like, okay, I'm going to play this for the podcast. And like, I'll actually get a decent amount of time to play games. Because, uh, you know, it, it's hard to justify just playing games when I'm like, oh, I have homework, but you know, I've I have the podcast, so it, it makes sense. And also it keeps me up uh, in the industry, which is something I would want to do regardless uh, since I want to, you know, be a, a VR uh, producer potentially in the future. So I think it, you know, it helps me a lot uh, to, to know where the market's going. Like you said, Gary, kind of 
have that insight on what people are doing and like what's working, what's not working, just based on us talking about it on the show. So I think it it helps a lot. Um, I, I don't know what if about I'd change your, uh, it now that I'm. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, what about your purchasing habits? Do you think that would be exactly the same? Like you kind of are into these purchasing these different headsets, checking them out and stuff. Would that continue as normal? I think I, for the most part, like I'm definitely getting a quest whether we're doing the podcast or not. That thing is looks awesome. Uh, I don't know if I would have gotten the Odyssey Plus, but I'm glad I did. Like I, I'm glad I got that insight on what other headsets are out there. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, it's also really cool to have the PSVR. So honestly, not too much different. Um, I'm I'm happy and like lucky to have all these headsets, and I, I think I'd I'd still want them even if I can't talk to everyone about it to, you know, when people come over, I'm like, Hey, everyone, look, this is the windows MR controller. This is the vibe controller. This is the, the, you know, the Oculus controller, the touch controller. Like this is why the touch controller is good. Or, you know, why we're going to develop for touch stuff like that. It's cool to like give those insights to the team versus being like, I don't know why we're developing for rift, but we are, you know? So. All right. And Steve, what about you? I put this question on, um, you know, sometimes just, just for those that watch the show, sometimes we're light on content. So we'll, we'll try to create topics that, that we think might be interesting or something that kind of just get us to, uh, have sort of a free form discussion. Cause uh, honestly, I think that's some of our best content, but, um, to each their own. So this was something we had on there, um, cause I thought we were light and I think, um, I think my habits are different because of the show. Um, I think that, uh, the um a to to gary's point you know getting the keys is gives me a chance to try games that i probably wouldn't have bought otherwise and i know that i've been surprised by by some titles that that i know i wouldn't have bought otherwise that that once i got in there i'm like holy crap this is amazing um you know we just had a comment uh from john shubrock about subnautica that is like i don't think i would have bought that game uh and and i'm so happy we got a key for it because i got to try it and and it it, it shot to be like you know one of my favorite games in vr totally um so so much so that my son now plays it flat and uh, really likes it. So the um, I, I know my habits are different because of the podcast, and it's very difficult to imagine what I would be doing if if there if there were no VR roundtable. Um, I would have to assume that I would play less games, but I'd focus more on the ones that I did play. Uh, probably would play a lot more Elite at this point. But then again, I'm not sure I'd even be into Elite at all if it wasn't for the podcast. So uh, very difficult to say. But I, I do think it does change my habits, and I do think um, the real big. Th- focal point of the question that I, that I wanted to get to was, um, do we, are we closer to VR than we would be otherwise? Do we feel some sort of, uh, allegiance to it because we're so close to it because we're quote unquote working in VR and, you know, we, we, we feel like, I don't know, I don't know how to maybe how to say it, but I feel like there, um, there is to a degree a, a little bit of blindness to, to the state of VR and such when you, uh, are so close to it. And, um, I almost wonder if any of you guys feel that way. Um, and, and probably people in chat, you know, similarly, like, you know, you, you, you're obviously into VR enough that you're in the chat room of, of someone, you know, doing a YouTube podcast. Um, do you, you know, are we too close to it that we, we kind of turn a blind eye to everything else? Like, um, it's just, it's just a thing I wondered and hopefully it, 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 it doesn't bring anybody down or, or, or we start thinking negatively oh, in I, any I... ways. I think it's a good point to bring up, Steve, but at the same time, I think um, on on this show, what we've done, we're just four 
people that are enthusiastic about VR. And we've been that way since 2016, since, well, before then, long before then, you know, we've all, I think it's safe to say that before we actually got a VR headset, we were all enthusiastic about this technology. And, and, you know, Chris, uh, you had like the the earlier DK versions of the Oculus and that kind of stuff. I followed it way before I actually got a VR headset. The fact that you were pointing to there, Steve, you know, we're so invested in this technology. Is that because we're on the podcast or anything like that? I completely, I I do not believe that at all. I would be equally invested. If I was not doing this this podcast, I'd be watching podcasts. I'd be watching F-Reality. I'd be watching all of these other shows that are going on on YouTube and listening to all of these podcasts. I'd be equally as invested in this technology. Um, So there is no way that, that I can put down my enthusiasm to VR in terms of me doing this podcast um so yeah I think I think either way I'd be invested in this technology um and I think it's it's a great way (laughs) it's just a great way to game in fact let me just uh very quickly before I pass it over to somebody else there was a comment here um which I actually can empathize with um So DLG27 said, I'm 59 years old and VR has refueled my gaming passion that I had when I was young. Now I have the time to devote and I'm excited for the future of VR. And I think that sums it up. There's a level when you play games i've played games all of my life and uh, i went through various phases where i didn't play games because i just felt like i wasn't get, getting enough from it and i had other interests in my life um but but going back to it when i bought a ps4 in 2014 i got back into gaming briefly but a lot of the games felt a little bit stagnant it's not to say that that overall i think the stories that they're telling are great and i think there's there's some incredible stories that they're doing but they a lot of games still fall into the same traps of these these things where you you know what to expect you know what you're supposed to do that there's these just these uh, stereotypes of games that that go on and i think vr broke that it vr broke that completely for me and it's exci- it's an exciting time it's not it's not where we want to be um a lot of vr games are not great but they're heading in the right direction. Um, so for me, that that's the most exciting part of this. I think I went off on various tangents there, but uh, if anyone can salvage anything, go ahead. No, I think um, I think it's good that you you were honest um, there, because because I um, unfortunately I'm not as confident, and and I'm, I'm vested. Like y'all y'all know, like here I am talking about my 30 day old broken Pimax. Like I'm 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 as vested I think as they come, um, and. Yeah, I, I, I just I, I teeter a little bit and, and I, I say that anyone's feelings are wrong, but we're getting a lot of people in chat, you know, throwing up their age and and talking about, you know, hey, how they're they're in it. Like VR um, has revigorated gaming for them. And um, I think that's great because I do uh, in a lot of ways feel the same way. But at the same time, I keep getting these glimpses like um, uh, I have a, a group of, of three other friends. The four of us have uh, been friends since um, middle school and we've all been gamers and and, you know, going back to playing uh, uh, 007 on Nintendo 64 at each other's houses and Mario Kart and such. And so over, you know, the release of all the consoles, we, we stayed together and we played. And, um, you know, two of them, two of the three now have VR headsets. And just this morning, they, we were all texting in our group chat, uh, group text, and they wanted to get together a game of Call of Duty. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, what? 
Like, like I don't even <laughs> respond to the text. I'm like, I'm not playing Call of Duty. Like, like it's the same game for a decade now or however long it's been. It's, but, but two of them have VR headsets. Two of them have experienced the glory of VR. They're all the same, rough same age as, as me and you, Gary. And why, why haven't they been bitten in the same way that we have? And, and that's the one thing. I think that's the key in a way to unlocking the industry. Like why, why can someone put on a VR headset and experience Astrobot or Beat Saber or Skyrim VR and, and not like be so wild with it to want to go back and play Call of Duty? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question there. That is really um, good, yeah. Real quick before we move on, I just wanted to thank Jason Walker in, uh, did a super chat and also for willing for fun. So just wanted to thank you guys for those super chats. And I'll comment real quick to the to the topic that we have here. And one of the things I'll say, well, I mean, I've told this story a million times. Like I basically I got a PlayStation 4 and an Xbox One the day that they launched. Like I bought both of those. And I tried to really get into the you know, the modern era. And, and I think I felt very similar to Gary. It's like, it's the same stuff, but it just looked better, you know? And I started to get disillusioned by it. And I've been doing video games forever, man. And, and I remember back in the 90s, like back in the 90s, like you would get a Sega Genesis and you'd play it, you're playing Sonic the Hedgehog and you're like, oh my God, this is Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, and then a couple of years later, you get um, the PlayStation or a Sega Saturn, and you're like, "Oh my God, this is incredible! It's the PlayStation and or Nintendo 64, you know, Super Mario World." Like, "Oh my God, look at that tree! Look at Mario jumping around!" And so you would have all these little explosions of like, "Oh, this is like never before seen type of stuff," and you would get this like revival of that joy. And more recently, like within this last decade or so. Honestly, since Xbox and PlayStation 2 and Nintendo GameCube, has anything really major happened in Flat World? Not really. You know, it's just looked better and better and better. But I don't think we've seen like these major jumps. And so when I got VR and went the first time I got into VR and was like, oh, my God, I'm in the game. Look at this. I'm in the game world. You know, this is incredible. And that just blew me away. And, and I'm I am. I don't understand these people that buy VR headsets and they're back in their closet. Cause to me, it is, this is that Mario 64 moment. Like this is what I've always wanted. Like it's been so many years since I've had this like magical joy uh, with, with like a new technology. And for me, VR is that that's what it is. It's like, now we're in this completely new era. Developers have to, program games in completely different ways they have to think of it like a lot of the stuff that they learned in flat gaming they just have to throw that away and they got to start over from scratch and that's frustrating in certain ways but it's also exhilarating because it's almost going back to like the atari 2600 days where it's not about the game it's about the ideas it's the ideas that that make it happen but as far as like my habits changing, I'll tell you right now, like anytime I go into a VR game, I think I should probably re be recording a Let's Play. So it like changes the way I play games because because I mean, I don't play games all day long. And so if I'm going to be in a game, I figure, God, I might as well be doing a Let's Play. So now I got to figure out, OK, well, what game? So I'm not playing Fallout 4 VR, you know, which is what I might want to play or like Winlands or, you know, whatever, like what I would just be playing for like comfort food games. 
I'm like, oh, I got to play Singularity 5 because Singularity 5 is a recent release. People want to hear about that. And I got to do a Let's Play. So, yeah, it does kind of couch that. And speaking of Singularity 5, why don't we just go quickly into that? Steve, I know you played it. I played it as well. Um, the, the interesting thing about Singularity 5 is they have a number of trailers for this game. This is developed by Monochrome Paris, I believe. And it's going for $10. It's not like super ridiculously expensive. We've also heard a number of people talk about how it reminds them of Robo Recall, like it's relatively similar to Robo Recall in certain ways. And so I heard a number of this stuff. I saw the trailers. I'm like, oh my God, this looks beautiful. This looks awesome. I reached out to the developer to try to get a key for it, got a key for it, played the actual game, and I'm like, ah, what happened here? I am not liking this game at all. But I don't know, maybe I'm a weirdo. So let me send it over to Steve. Steve, what were your thoughts on Singularity 5? Well, I'm not. Um, I'm not real high on it. It's. It's in a, in a lot of ways, it's not a bad game, but it it hasn't it hasn't grabbed me. And, and its price is only ten bucks. Um, so at least the investment isn't a lot. But um, my high level immediate response is it's a pass at at ten dollars. Um, the things that I like about the game is is that it's um, it's it was gorgeous. Like it was really sharp it's rendered really well it's got a very interesting art style um the frame rate was was performing 90 frames um i didn't play it on the pimax um i, I played it on the odyssey and it looks great and it plays great feels great um the downside is that it's this weird it's a wave shooter which you know wave shooter right here we are like we've we've had those been there done that um but then within the wave genre like i don't really know what's going on the shooting comes or, or the action comes sort of slow it's like uh it's like it's like a it's like wave inception like it's waves nested in waves like you know it's like you're 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 on this uh, the first level you're on this like elevator thing and um you know you'll get three drone type things that you have to shoot or kind of all come out at the same time and then you're like bang 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 you kill them and then there's nothing and you wait like four seconds and then three more come out. So it's like there's downtime between the actual waves, so to speak. And, it, and to me, that's kind of kind of weird. Like the 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 play, it, it never it never seemed to catch an appropriate flow. Um, so you know, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Looks good, plays good performance wise. Um, but it's just the game itself didn't didn't grab me. Um, you know, it's just kind of <clears throat> it is Did what you? it is. I don't hate yeah. it, but it, it's just not good at the same time. It's kind of like, you know, eating a salad or something like, like you don't necessarily right. hate them, but you know, it's not, it's not the same as like, Ooh, I want a, a, a slice of pizza or a burger or something. You know, it's like, it's just, it's not something that motivates you. My question for you, Steve. So, okay. That opening level there where you're kind of like going up an elevator thing, that's kind of like, um, it's almost like a tutorial level in a way. Like it's kind of like, level one slash tutorial did you get into the the any of the other levels because you could just click on them and go immediately in them you didn't have to like pass anything i was just curious if you played any of the other levels no nah, i was pretty much over it after the first level <laughs> okay because dude the other levels i think are even worse in my opinion see when i got when i got to that second level which i think is the most gorgeous level like it really is a gorgeous backdrop it's supposed to be in the future, you're, it's like a futuristic Paris. 
And so the name of the game is Singularity 5. So basically, the singularity happened, and then this is the fifth year of the singularity. So there's like an AI that is basically gone berserk and taken over everything pretty much. And so it's Singularity 5, right? But the second level, it looks great, but for me, it was just pure chaos. It's just like all these things that are just like tons of things that are just coming at me. And it's just like, shoot, 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 shoot. And for me, it's like, I don't know, is that good or bad? But for me, it felt like, like I've played a lot of wave shooters and it wasn't just mad chaos. And I don't think mad chaos is fun. Like I've played time carnage and, 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 you know, Dick wild and all these, and it seems like, you know, it's a wave shooter, but they, it's like designed in a certain way. You get a certain number of enemies, they start increasing. And then like, I was in like the second level of this game and it was just, just all this stuff coming at me, all these little, little grenades and you have to like slap them away with your gun. And, ah, oh, man, I, I just, I could not, I, I hated this game. I hated I've, I've it. Not, I've not played this game, but so from what you guys are saying for, and from what I've heard and from what I've read online, is it basically a wave shooter? Is that, is that yeah, pretty much what it yeah, is? Basically, yeah. yes. With yeah. a unique art style. I think that's what they're kind of, they're, they're really banking a lot on the art style. And I like the way the game looks. The game looks really cool and really interesting. That's really the only thing it's got going for it because the gameplay itself isn't, isn't very, very fun. At least I didn't find, um, but the, yeah, the sound design is pretty good, too, and it's got a lot of deep bass. Like, if you actually have, like, a subwoofer in your room that you're using at the same time, like, that thing's probably going to really be kicking. It's really got some I, deep bass. I think it was developed. The people, I think the people are competent. Like, I think they're competent developers that know how to create something because this looks like it's done at a higher fidelity. Like, it's got polish. It, it Like, there was nothing wrong with its execution other than the game design itself isn't fun. Like, that's that's... I mean, and that's probably one of the most important things in a game, right? But like, I would love to pair their talent up with someone who actually knows how to make a, like, that makes a fun game. Like, because visually it's great. It, it, it ran at solid 90 frames. There were no hiccups. There was no stuttering. Uh, the menus loaded. There was none of that jank that, that, that you can experience in a lot of games. So it's kind of rare to, in my opinion, to see a game that, that looks as good as this does and, uh, performs as well as it does with no jank. Um, that's kind of rare in VR land. And, uh, to see it executed on a game that in and of itself wasn't very fun is, is kind of unfortunate. I mean, there's some people around that are like really like this game. And I, I I just like Paradise Decay, for example. I mean, I trust Paradise and Paradise enjoys this game. Now, he says this is his favorite genre. So he kind of likes all shooting kind of games. But for me, it was just this mad chaos. And I'm just wondering, can I just not handle mad chaos? And it's like a personal thing for me. Or did other people experience it as well? But you really got to get into like level two and three to experience that part. But anyway, guys, we've been running here for about two hours now, so I guess we're basically going to go ahead and do call we want, this. Uh, Gary, do you want to talk about the Odyssey before we jump out? No, I t I'll oh, tell yeah. you what, because um, I want to – my impressions are based on about f four or five days of using this. So I'll tell you what, let's let's leave it till next week. We'll set some time aside next week, and uh, I'll give some more well-rounded opinions on it, I think. Okay. We also forgot to get into Chris – his experience with PlayStation VR. He finally got his hands on PlayStation VR. But I guess we could get into both of those things next week. It's Sounds funny good. because we always think we don't have enough show, and so we <laughs> kind of pad onto it, and then it ends up being too long. Yep. 
Um, but yeah, anyway, guys, that's going to go ahead and do it for episode 111 of the show. Thanks so much for watching our show. Thanks for participating in chat. We truly appreciate that. We also would like to ask, um, go ahead and leave comments on our episode after the fact that that really helps us out as well. Like the video if you like it. Go ahead and dislike it if you don't. But, you know, the like button's better. Go ahead and click that one. And then the other thing I'll say is, of course, we do a pod. Well, this is a podcast. It's on iTunes. And we definitely appreciate any reviews out there on iTunes. So that's going to go ahead and do it. And we'll probably see you guys next week. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Go Rams. Later.